Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. We first uh, we signed our first uh, female talents, uh, uh, I think, from India and where else? Middle East, Paul? Uh, yes, Middle East. Jordan. And you want to tell us those names? <laughs> <laughs> Kavita Devi from India and... Um, I, I cannot remember how to pronounce the one from Jordan. I'm sorry. All right. Maybe we'll take a guess at that. But anyway, uh, that's uh, created a, a lot uh, of... Uh... Hello, everybody, and welcome to an edition of WrestleNomics Radio. <laughs> I am your co-host, Chris Harrington, joined with Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon and I are trying this live stream for the first time, and uh, we're here to talk about WWQ3 results. We have already written an article about it, if you are Brandon Howard Thurston. We've already listened to a conference call and live-tweeted it, if you're Christopher Mukigana Harrington. And we have already slept on a couch for about six hours, if you're my poodle Scarlet. So, it's been a pretty exciting morning for us all. Brandon, how did you uh, enjoy today's WWE Q3 Mania? Uh, I enjoyed it. I was very excited. Um, we learned that WWE is predicting they're going to make even more money than they thought, right? They're going to—they're predicting uh, a Oibda of... What was it? They're, they're predicting 108 to 112 million dollars in OIBDA for the entire year 2017. Yeah, and, and they, just just to touch on that, OIBDA, of course, operating income before depreciation amortization, and the OIBDA number sometimes because it's their adjusted OIBDA number, they sometimes do exclude certain one-time only costs and events. So that's not to say that they're really going to make necessarily 108 million dollars pure profit, but if they take out things like the money they spend for the building that they're investing in, stuff like that, then they, they think they're going to make $100 million, which is a significant number. And I was having some doubts about whether they were going to hit $100 million, let alone go up to 108 And for 2008, so that would be a record just in 2007, that 108 to $112 million, That would be a record for WWE in terms of, at least in terms of OIBDA, right? There's various ways to, to measure profit. But in terms of the OIBDA measurement, that would be a record for WWE for a year. And they're predicting in 2018, they're going to break that record again and make 115 million, at least 115 million. Yeah. So they're, you know, some of that you could say, hey, if you can do 100 million this year, doing 115 million next year would not be very difficult because of the escalation in the TV rights fees. 
because they have a minimum 20 or 30 million dollars built into those escalators i'd have to review the uh old documents to be positive how much but that's not a challenge but it also implies that basically they have to keep their spending in check very similar year over year or they have to find other cost-cutting measures so that they can be as profitable but uh yeah it's a you know the market loved it uh you know they went up by almost 10 percent on their stock price today so it was clearly well received even though they actually came in a little light on their prediction for uh, network subs, if you were to, you know, kind of hold them to yeah. your exact number, which they had said 1.54 million plus or minus 2%, they came in at 1.52. So again, the yeah. low end. I, th- I think the low end of that range is like 1.51. So just the range barely. Projected. Yeah. yeah. And that's been kind of par for course. You know, they're about 1, 1.2% off, but that's how they've been lately is that they've come in a little bit below on the bottom end of each of their sub numbers for the last three or four quarters. But typically as long as they don't miss that number by a lot, the, the market's okay with that, especially if they're focused more on revenue, which is a better thing or profit, which is a better thing to focus on. Yeah. And as of right now, the WB stock is up almost 11%, 10.8% right now. It's up to almost $24 per share. So let's look here, since we got the live video, uh, instead of us being in tiny little uh, corners here, let's look at what we've learned. Uh, KPI slides. Yeah, so this is the, the first page has TV ratings. And uh, raw is, is down by just 1%. And usually this, this raw comparison that they make from the, the previous quarter of the same year, raw has been down, I think, in double digits. We could dig it up, but... It's usually down like 8, 10, 12%, I think, even. And it's been uh, stabilizing rate lately, right? Um, and SmackDown is usually up from the same quarter in the prior year just because with the, with the brand split, split, that's really helped WWE uh, do better ratings for SmackDown. But now it looks yeah, like I, it's about I, flat year over year. I think this would surprise a lot of WWE fans who have been told for ages here that WWE is in free fall when it comes to ratings. And here, what we're seeing instead is in Q3, they basically were flat. They were slightly down, 1% drop. And uh, USA, on the other hand, is getting is gaining traction with that 7% gain. But you could make a strong argument that 7% gain is, um, you know, that look at the difference between what even SmackDown does versus all the rest of USA network programming. Chris Lee knows best is not carrying this network to um, its strength. Wrestling is helping a lot. Right. And but when I look separately uh, at, at USA's ratings, it, it's mostly scripted programming, right? Especially what's in prime time. Uh, a, a lot of their programs year over year have a lot of decline, a, a sharper decline than Raw or SmackDown do. So it's always a mystery to me, like what is what is made up of this calculation that the USA Network is up by seven percent year. Well, it could be a lot of daytime programming too, just the reruns that they're showing. That you know, maybe maybe Law and Order or CSI or whatever it is is their core daytime programming now is doing a lot better than than their original scripted programming. Uh, the other part of this that you know I think is interesting is we should also mention that there's there's two numbers on each of these pages, right? There's both the national rating and the coverage rating. Uh, USA Network has dropped about a million homes year over year. They went from 93 million availability to 92 million. And um, so see that the drop on the coverage rating is actually less than the drop on the national rating for both Raw and SmackDown, which makes some sense, especially when you consider they lost, you know, a million homes. And you want to look at it real quick? Like the, um, so this is from tvseriesfinale.com. This is as of October. So that's October 19th. 
Uh, and, and this looks at viewership for, you know, this, this sounds like a bunch of USA primetime shows, right? And you can see the, the year over year is down 10%, down one and a half, down 27% and so on. I mean, I mean these are declines that, that are bigger than the declines we see for Ron Smackdown. So. Yeah. So actually that's a really interesting list too, when you start looking at it and thinking about it. So you have Mr. Robot, which has been really critically acclaimed, um, but it does show that it, it has a very small demo, you know, even though it's been very popular queen of the south which was an interesting one where that was kind of their take on a narcodrama almost uh, playing off of the telenovela novella type shows that are really popular um uh suits is coming back you know it's their last season i think for them uh it's a lawyer you know white collar show a little bit more in line with some of the other stuff they've done sinner was was a big kind of drama play for them and had some um big names in there uh, being cast. And so I think that's one of the big things there. And then Shooter actually is the one that probably surprises me the most to see how much above it is even over Falling Water, playing house uh, comedy and a sci-fi series. Uh, but, you know, it, it says a lot that, like you said, there's not a lot of strong shows there. And so wrestling is a big part of it. And so it's surprising to see that if they're all going down, how is USA improving their numbers? And I have to think it's all coming from just the reruns and the Chris Lee knows best and those sort of things. Right. So going back to the KPIs. Yes. So that, that's our thoughts there on the, um, the numbers that WWE can still make the claim that they like to make, which is against top 25 cable networks. They're actually losing shares slower. And there was some comparisons brought up in the NFL uh, ratings decline, which as you'll notice here, they do not compare themselves to the NFL in any way or other sports leagues. And uh, that almost came up actually in the Linda McMahon quote. Did you see the one I tweeted out? No, from, uh, from so recently? Linda, yeah, or is today, it an old quote? Yeah, right right before we, we started the call here, Linda did a call did a um a interview with uh Linda did an interview with let's see what the name of the uh, website was. The uh is mcall.com, which is the morning call. And uh, it was it's entitled Linda McMahon, how lessons from a wrestling empire can help the nation's small businesses. And the very last question on it is, what's your favorite sport? Is it professional wrestling? And any guesses to how Linda answered that question? Sports entertainment. She said, well, professional wrestling is an entertainment product for pure sport as a spectator. I like the pace of basketball. So, yes, she uh, she refused to acknowledge that that wrestling could be related to uh, sports in any way. And I think you could hear the disdain be dripping from her tongue as she uh, uh, kind of spouted that one. But yes, so that was a, a fun little thing. You can find that on my Twitter. Uh, I tweeted that a little bit ago. But let's go to the next page of the KPIs here. Okay, we got AVOD. Yeah, talk to people. What does AVOD stand for and why is this relevant? So AVOD stands for Advertising Supported, right? Ad Supported Video On Demand. And in this slide, we, so by the way, we're looking at the KPIs, the key performance indicators, and it's usually the same stuff every quarter. It's just updated, right? So in this slide, they always show us global hours viewed. Uh, this is in, in hours in terms of millions. Uh, and then in global views. So this is the time that people are actually taking to watch WB videos on YouTube and possibly on W.com and Facebook. And this is the number of views. Uh, in terms of the individual videos that are watched. But uh, yeah, th this is a, a metric that we've seen have mostly explosive growth, except for in 2016, it actually went down, but it's coming back up again in 2017. And uh, the same thing for views. 
And this is really important for them in a couple ways. Number one, uh, George Berrios used this argument when people basically said to him, hey, George, we don't know how to value these new TV deals coming up. We don't know what to compare you with. You know, can we really look at Major League Soccer and say whether they double their TV rights? Is that going to have an impact on you? Does, you know, the success of young Sheldon, does that impact how your ratings are going to do? Like they, they're, they're really frustrated that they can't find a comparable thing. What should we look at? And so George said, well, time is your greatest asset. And we are monopolizing more and more hours of people's time all the time. Yeah. So I think his argument there would be that 144 to 154 to 167 on millions of global hours viewed. That is a way of saying basically that, you know, AVOD has gone way up and therefore people are investing in us. And therefore, you know, that's why we're going to be a valuable product for everybody as we, as he likes to say, harness the eyeballs. And um, eventually if the, the, they decided to, you know, try to do a more advertiser supported network tier you could see this being really important for them, basically for them selling the number of hours that they have people watching things. Right now, this is mostly YouTube hours, I assume, in terms of since it's AVOD. And I guess I they could call it... I, I think the, Facebook is growing too. Like I remember when, remember the, um, the Samoa Joe and, and Brock Lesnar video that did really well. And mm-hmm. I remember lo- looking into that and saying, oh, it did X number of million views on YouTube, but it also did a few million on Facebook as well. So I think the, the Facebook video viewership is getting comparable to youtube and it does actually mention that it's anything on the wwe platform which includes wwe.com and the wwe app so i assume that's you know the the kind of network interface but that old clunky wwe app that a lot of us still have on our phone or on our tablet to watch the wwe network well the only WWE app now is the WWE network right like well, no I think it's still called the app. WWE app. And then there is a, you know, push this button to watch the network. But then you can also get like, you know, superstar, superstar stories and, and videos and, 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 you know, can't, you know, access to this photo gallery, stuff like that. I think that's in there. I would have to check. And I want to give a shout out right now. It looks like we have some some people listening and uh, participating in uh, yeah. watching this live stream. So we want to thank yeah. people. We have a little Q and A section. I have no idea if they can actually do this Q and A or not. But we have a cha- we have a chat section. They can say anything in the chat. Like we have someone wa- who's washing dishes and listening right now. Oh, really? Someone also, yeah. Someone else is saying, yeah. If you look at the if you click on the YouTube link that we put out. <laughs> oh, I have to I have to pull up the YouTube link and then what mute it. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, oh, okay. And and we're not seeing ourselves at all unless I unless I as the director make us see ourselves. So all we're seeing right now is the uh, is the slide. But I can click on you and make everybody see you or me. Oh my so. goodness! Oh, there we go. Now I see it. Oh, yeah. cool, cool. I, I yeah. see the live chat as well. I hope yes. I paused it. Yes. Someone else. Yes. Oh, my friend Rich. Hey, big shout out to my buddy in California. We are now now crossing both both coasts here. So we got a guy in California, a guy in New yes. York, and of course the most important state, Minnesota. All right, back to the show. Um, uh, I I don't ever have a lot to say about this slide because it's one of those slides where they've they've figured out a way to show some fancy graphs that go up and up and make media analysts happy, but don't really correlate necessarily to any one metric that I've ever seen WWE do. I guess that would be a test for me sometime is to take all the metrics here and see what the R squared is against revenue or some profit or some other number. See if there's any kind of a a one-to-one correlation. I don't know. I, I mean, this is the one slide that you can apply a lot of cynicism to, and and Vince McMahon kind of puts this this information over. Um, and the does next he slide though? Too. 
a little bit. I think he did the call. So sarcastic today. It was so hard to tell. I thought his tone, his tone at one point, he goes, and the most important metric of all, as we always say, this AVOD. And it was like, it was one of those where you really couldn't tell by his tone whether or not it was like legitimate. Are you waiting for me to speak? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay, good. I, uh, yes, my computer, I think, got overloaded by uh, the excitement of someone in Czechoslovakia also yes. washing dishes. Um, let's go to the next slide. Sorry, and just doing this now, I'm, I'm having the realization this is not going to be a great audio podcast. <laughs> That's possible, yeah. But we'll, we'll uh, just do, do what we do. We'll figure it out later. Yeah. Social media. What can you tell me about this slide? Uh, social media goes up and up every quarter. I actually have something to say on this slide for once. Um, look at I the, mean, the, th- the thing about social media is that you're you're basically always going to have gains, you know, over time because the nature of social media is it's a new form of media and new accounts are being created all the time, and people in general are following at a faster rate that they than they are unfollowing. So of course this is going to increase over time. I've always um, wondered. The thing to look at is is more like social media engagement, right? That's I think that's at least a better metric to look at because this tells us, uh, as they explain in these little footnotes here, these are the number of likes, follows, shares, mentions, retweets across Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Tumblr. So at least there's this. This tells us how how much people are really engaging WWE social media. So. And and that is that's a good point. So whether you're re- listening in the Czech Republic or in Slovakia, which are two separate countries, as uh, I've well been reminded, I had a, a friend who was from Slovakia actually, in uh, high school came over. Um, but uh, the the one thing that I thought was interesting, if you notice where the growth came from this time, of their growth from 800 to 825, 12 came from that other category. So almost half of their growth came from the non-Twitter, non-Facebook category, which I just thought that was kind of interesting that we're seeing that represent the engine of growth in some ways for what's happening here. The other thing I've always wondered about is... So uh, I think that means, does that mean Instagram probably taking up the, the largest share of that? They explain that this is Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Tumblr. I don't know that Tumblr is a, is a really strong and, and growing social media platform as much as we know that Instagram is Instagram has overtaken Twitter by a wide margin. As far that's as true. Like, it's like monthly active users. Yeah. Yep. I think that's true. So you're, you're probably right. It probably is coming from yeah. a lot of Instagram. And then I always wonder with this, whether they're, they're aggregating all of their superstar accounts. They are. And then I've asked them about that. They are. And, okay. Yeah. So then my question is, do they deactivate them when the person leaves? So yeah, I wonder is, about that too. So like it's CJ Parker's account, you know, now that he's uh, Juice Robinson over in New Japan, is that still counting towards WWE's numbers? Yeah, who knows? I guess like the most of the people that they release aren't their biggest stars. So they're not the ones with the biggest followings. Right. And, and we know that WWE talent, as far as the number of people they have signed, has increased over time. Right. Like they have more and more people under contract. So, you know, there's that, too. Yeah. Um. So the, it's interesting to me also to see that social media engagement actually went down this quarter. Um, again, you'd expect it to be somewhat correlated to the biggest event. So WrestleMania time usually yeah. being the peak. And then, of course, WrestleMania is right at the very start of Q2. So it makes some sense to me that Q1 is so heavy just because you have so much growth between Royal Rumble to WrestleMania. Yeah, but, and even attendance, as you've pointed out, January to March, that's Q1. January to March, attendance is good. 
I think but, that's prob- probably the strongest time for TV ratings as well. But at the same time, look, you know, it's it's totally different trend than years past. Uh, 2015, it was flat for three quarters. 2016, it increased for three quarters. 2017, it's decreased for three quarters. So it, it is kind of funny to me that this it, um, it, engagement it number. One to two. Yeah, but I mean, it was flat from Q2 through Q4. So it, it's just funny to me that uh, it's all over the place. And it's a great example to me of the story changing depending on the numbers rather than having the story and then actually expecting the numbers to reflect it. Like, I, I always feel like they're just telling us afterwards some justification for why whatever happened was okay, rather than actually promising me ahead of time how it was going to go. Yeah, that's that's me. Just coming from some story after the fact that uh, yeah. make, makes the company sound strongest and most effective. Like we but intended. The, like you're, you're saying, like Stephanie McMahon was telling some story about what was it again? I have no recollection. I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah, you can see what happens when we work without a script here, and we just try to actually talk to each other. It's a lot harder. The WWE Network. Uh, so we. Oh we gosh! This, yeah, this this rainbow, this eyesore chart here, which is actually full of really interesting numbers. If you take this page and the next page and you combine them into an Excel sheet, you can get all sorts of great numbers, like the number of free international trials and average versus real. But it's so hard to look at this sheet, and you know, and I think have, that's that's sort of intentional, isn't it? Like they don't want they they want you to look at, and I think there's I've said there's. That is the right way to look at it. You should be looking at this kind of year over year. So they want you to look at it. They want you to compare 2015, not not to 2016. They want you to compare. The, well, they, they don't want you to compare this quarter to last quarter. They yeah, they don't want to do quarter over quarter. This they quarter, want to do year this year. year to the same quarter in the previous year. Yeah. It's just. It, do we it, want it, to look at it, ending periods subs first, or do we want to look at? Um, well, let me just let me just kind of read off the numbers here. Um, so. Here's what what happened for the quarter. Q2 end, which was June 30th, we had 1.568 million people, which is 1.158 million North America and 410,000 international and about 65,000 people free. In Q3, so September 30th, we had 1.507 million people. So we lost approximately 61,000 subscribers during that time that we had 1.106 million North America and 401,000 international and 71,000 free. So those numbers, again, we basically lost 151,000 North American. I'm sorry, we lost 52,000 North American subscribers. We lost about uh, 9,000 international subscribers and we gained about 6,000 free subscribers. That's the three month to three month period. If you look at the, the averages, Q2 averaged 1.634 million, and now it's down to 1.522 million. And again, you went from about 1.2 million North American to about 1.1 North American. And then your international number went from 422,000 to 403,000. What does that all mean? Well, stable, right? We're we're sitting at that 1.5 million number, and I think that's where they're going to sit for a long time here. The challenge is going to be, what are they ever going to do to get above 1.7, 1.8, 1.7, 1.8, let alone 2 million. That is going to be really hard um, uh, for them, the way things are structured today. I really only see them getting to a different number if you actually change the pricing on the network or you create tiering yeah. or something else. And at that point, right. what what does it mean to be at 2 million? Because you're not really comparing apples to apples anymore. Because a you know a $15 network, you need less subscribers to get the same money you would have got with 2 million. Maybe, maybe having 2 million people is really important to them. But the reality is they need a new model to get there, in my mind, unless they're willing to wait 15 years for India and China to, to finally hit expectations. 
Right. Well, George Barrios even mentioned the 3 million subscriber goal again today on the call. So it's interesting that they're not backing down from that. They're not trying to sweep it under the rug. They're still uh, talking about it like it's a real goal. Yeah. So, uh, I, so I can't he, imagine how they're going to get there. I think, like we've discussed probably before, I think the way they can get to similar profit goals as 3 million subscribers if they tier the network and offer higher price points. Yeah. And, and, and to be really fair, what happened is – uh, Laura Martin brought up the whole fact that at some point they had made reference to getting two or three million. She said subscribers outside of the U.S., you know, international subscribers. Yeah. And then, you, you know, you could see George kind of trying to pivot a little bit on what he was saying. And he used basically the Netflix excuse, which is his new story, which is Netflix promised to get to 60 to million, 90 million people. They're about 70 percent of the way to their target. It's been, what, eight years. And we said we would get to three to four million. We're about 50 percent to our target. And we did in three years. And so he, he did imply that he was going to that three million. You know, the low end was where he was shooting for and that they were 50 percent of the way there, which to some degree is, is true. You know, that I think all things being perfect. Yeah. They could probably hit 3 million, but I don't think they can hit it today with the service, with the offerings, with the tiering, with the uh, rollout. You know, I, I think they would have to adjust the price of the network. Um, go to um, a, you know, a higher tier and a lower tier or free tier. I think they would have to kind of follow Netflix lead and do kind of a domestic price increase. I think at the same time, they should give up on the same price worldwide. So I think 999 is the wrong price in many of these marketplaces. So yeah. India should not be charged 999 in USD. That is ridiculous price for an right. Indian marketplace. So right. there's opportunities there for them to play with it. Um, I think someone... when they, when they launched it in, um, in China, which is something else they talked about in this release, but when they launched, launched the W network in China, I remember I looked around at what all the other price points were. And, um, and it, remember it, it turns out that there's actually a number of different price points already. I know in, in, I can't remember what they are off the top of my head, but you know, in the UK, they're paying a different price in Ireland. UK is in, price. yeah, UK, UK is 999 in, in Canada. Pounds. They're paying a different price in, so that's, that's Ireland. Like, yeah. That's it's... what? three or four out of their top five markets there that, that are not yep. paying 999. Yep. Exactly. Nope. Good point. Um, I, I can see some awesome chat on the, uh, the, the live stream here where people are saying, you know, that they're looking uh, for some other services that have this data and some people look like they might've found some links for that. And you can always tweet the link to um, a Brandon and Brandon could bring it up on the screen. If it's something worth uh, looking at here, I, I could, so I will encourage you. To yeah, I will try to pay attention to my Twitter here. There are many things going on all at once for me, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, WW, I, we joke about them hitting um, 2 million, but the reality is they've gotten close to 2 million, but a quarter, well, less than a quarter, a, uh, a, a eighth of it or whatever has been free. So, you know, you can see that WrestleMania number in the corner there. They did 1.9 million total people, but that involved 288,000 free. And this is my big bone of contention, which is that WWE has not really followed through on their implied promise a couple of quarters ago that they would give us some statistics and metrics around the success of the free WrestleMania model to say, here's how many people we were actually able to capture and turn into long-term subscribers and all sorts of other things. Because at the time they were basically asked, hey, can you do something on this? And the answer was, uh, give us to the end of the year to kind of, you know, follow the experiment. And then by the end of the year, no one, they, they kind of said, we don't like to go into granularity. We don't like to talk about that stuff. I didn't hear the word granularity today. There was a couple uh various deflections, but uh, yeah. I, sometimes I feel like we might've made him self-conscious about using that word. Yeah. I, th I think, I think Barrios bingo uh, ruined him. 
Yeah, I think I have to believe on on some level he uh, at some point heard that uh, uh, we had figured out some of his favorite phrases and called him out on it. Yeah, at at, at some point I think he, he he learned that there was a bingo card going around. Uh, so um, a, another nice nice chart here. This one's a little bit easier to devour. Um, on the right side, you have your average total domestic subscribers. Domestic in this case gets a little funny. I think domestic in this definition would actually be U.S. Yeah, I believe when it comes to the network, domestic means U.S. only. Yeah, but when, but when they say domestic, domestic on attendance, they mean with Canada because they're usually talking North America. Yeah, because they usually use the term North America then. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so there's that one point. 522 number that I mentioned for the the average for the entire quarter and you can see on the the right side the 1.119 million of actual people domestically paying and again we see about 75% of the WWE network is still a domestic service uh, which will play into something we'll see when we look at the earnings numbers which is basically that the majority of their growth is still coming from North America despite this huge emphasis on international and international markets so the network today is a domestic driven thing. And there's a lot of questions about what they could do to change that, you know, specifically around, should they be using more localization languages, international talent, should they be pricing it differently, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is this thing makes or breaks itself on whether the U S has a lot of people subscribing to it. Uh, Going to the next chart is my favorite one. There's the various bingo here. Uh, So let's see here. Uh, Tomorrowless. uh, Let's go back to bingo there for a second. Let's just check it out. Sure. Uh, uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought that up. I think I might have um, killed it. Hang on. We're, we're you might have killed it. <sighs> no, it's coming back. Wait. Asha. Oh, oh wow! Look at that guy. Does not look like you. No. Um. All right. So we got Timor Le- Leste, which was the tiny country that he used to brag about. Timor Leste is, is a yeah. yeah. I don't know where that is, but it's uh, in East Asia, I believe. There you go. Uh, uh, social media footprint. He doesn't say footprint that much anymore. We no, did not. Even, say, this is from this is from a while ago. He doesn't yeah. say much of any of these words anymore. Yeah, tiger by the tail. No granularity. No pivot occasionally. Adjusted obita. Yep. Clarion call. Left that one out. Unpack the content. Not quite. China, of course. Churn. Yep. Uh, peak profitability. No. Lumpiness. No. India's the future. Sort of. Refuse to detail. Predict. Yeah. Uh, viewers hours yeah. per household. Not quite. Affinity households. He dropped that one. Yeah. He's a. Uh, he's really adjusted his whole playbook here. Yeah, so, I tweeted uh, this about two years ago. This is for WQ3 2015. There we go. How about that? All right, let's go back to the um, the the branded thing here. So yeah, uh, the next slide I, I'm always fascinated about because it has churn on there. And so what you're looking at is in that Q3 column there, the negative 453 and the positive 392. So they mm-hmm. this is implying that on a service that has about 1.5 million people, period, that that subscribe to it, 453, so almost either a third or a quarter, depending on the math you want to do here, gave up on the service. And 392, again, a third, a quarter, whatever you want to use as your math, added the service for a net of 61. And and this is the biggest question to me is just trying to understand that 453. What percentage of that is just people jumping back and forth what percentage of that is people that care so much about main events that they want to see brock lesnar versus samoa joe and they don't want to see roman reigns versus whomever um and then what percentage of that is just you know the natural cycle of people checking it out and dropping it because this is interesting to compare it'd be interesting to compare like every account that 
that's either active or inactive across time, right? And if, especially if you could look at it like around pay-per-view dates to see if any pay-per-views increased mm-hmm. the total number of, of accounts that exist because maybe theoretically you could say that that's, that's telling you what's earning new fans as opposed to winbacks, as they would call it, where you get, say I cancel the WWE Network for a time and then I decide, oh, I'm going to watch it for this pay-per-view and I come back. Well, and the other part about this is, and this is where I, I don't buy the, I'm just going jumping from free trial to free trial, is it does say paid additions, churn and ending subscriptions. And that would imply that these are people that are paid that are leaving and these are people that are paid that are getting added on. And so to me, it seems like unless they're counting all the free trials as just negatives, it, it just doesn't make sense to me how this could just all be free trials. This really seems like this is actual paid accounts going in and going out. Yeah, I'm sure there are people gaming the system, but I don't really believe that they're, that it's widespread. Just because and this is sort of a discussion I was having about New Japan World and why it's not on these other OTT platforms and accessibility. I think we underestimate, especially when we're you know kind of nerds, you know, sitting here at our computers and going through all this computer stuff. I think we underestimate how much friction or how little friction the average consumer will tolerate. Like the the amount of friction, the amount of trouble that you have to go through to create a new account. I think it's well, too much for the, for the average person to make a really significant difference to this business. Here's the very easy number. We know at the end of September, at the end of June, there was only 60 to 70,000 free people. So for people to be telling me it's 100,000 or 200,000 people, there's not even 100,000 free accounts at any given time except for at WrestleMania weekend. So most of the time there, there's not an ability for 100,000 people to say be doing this. Now, even if you were to say it's the same 60,000 people five times, that just doesn't make sense because there's only three months. So I, I just can't believe that all of that is driven by that. But at the same time, that's rock, that's sky high, it seems like, every quarter for it to be in that four hundred dollars to $500,000 or, or people range. So it's just so weird to me. And I have talked to other analysts who have also felt that this is really weird and they can't make sense of it. And so uh, I'm glad that we keep showing it. Yeah. One of our listeners has sent us Netflix and Amazon. I want to take a look at that real quick. Sure. Let's bring it up. Again, this is going to be a terrible audio podcast, but it's a great visual podcast. Um, Netflix continues to build its global audience. So this is the number of Netflix subscriptions showing the international domestic split. So uh, I, you know, obviously the very quick takeaway here is look at how international exploded for Netflix. Um, as they made the the decision to go in. And of course, I'll also bring up the fact that they did not, in fact, go into China. They've, they've still stayed out of China all of this time. They decided to license their content directly to Chinese uh, media companies, but not actually to be in the player themselves. But 47% of it coming there. And this is something where I always feel like I would love to see WWE stack themselves up against some of these other countries of the world. Because we know that like um, the Nordic countries have a huge um, consumption of streaming services. We know Brazil has been really big into streaming services. We know that um, in places like Mexico and, and in Japan and whatnot, we've seen different marketplace dynamics. I'd love to see WWE really go uh, head-to-head because we see a lot of information about how Netflix and Amazon have done. Now, that said, what did they say in today's call when someone asked them about a comparison to Netflix? They said that we're not a general media uh, service and you shouldn't necessarily compare us to general media services. So it's, you know, they want to be compared to who they want to be compared to when it's convenient for them. Yeah, he was very, George was very adamant they should not be being compared to Netflix because Netflix is a general entertainment platform and they have a niche platform, which of course brings up everyone remembering the, uh, 
the the taglines with Michael Cole where they called it the Netflix of you know the WWE Network is is like Netflix but only better stuff like that yeah. which you know and, and I think they they use that phraseology to communicate to their fans that it's an OTT service without saying yes. OTT service which probably sounds like jargon to a wide audience I don't think OTT service means anything to anyone except for nerds like us yeah you want to look at Amazon here's yeah. Amazon oh wow so Amazon um global retail revenue uh so amazon i don't know if this one tells us as much just because amazon's decision to make amazon prime video a a focus for them is a relatively new thing and also it it was bundled you know you can see how every quarter q4 that's you know for christmas time things go flying high this isn't it's actually isn't about amazon prime right this is about no this is just about amazon period amazon's retail sales but we don't know very much about amazon prime subscriptions except for to say we can model it on how much amazon prime and amazon i don't don't know amazon doesn't uh, report their amazon prime subscribers every quarter like w does um we we should look into that yeah i i don't know and uh someone a rich uh my friend made a good point here that uh every country of the world has different content for Netflix in that Netflix does not, you know, when I go to Canada, I get so much better content. It's funny. It's like HBO in the U S and Canada, Netflix are very similar where oftentimes I can watch, you know, real time airing of shows or the next day shows like better call Saul or something will be available. I know in the U S they started doing that this year, but in Canada, they've been doing that for years and I would just see a lot of great movies up there, you know, all the Disney portfolio and things like that. But yep. So that, that those are kind of good, interesting things to think about. And it also kind of reminds us that, you know, prime subscriptions are probably going to peak, but they're for one year. So it, it's not necessarily going to have the same variability as something else. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah, just the huge churn numbers on this just blow my mind since it says gross additions. This is the chart I, I really wanted to um, uh, speak to. Yeah, the attendance number. This was, uh, again, one of those minor shockers that you know nobody asked a single thing about this and there's two really interesting actually three really interesting stories in my mind about this and of course what i'm talking about is the fact that in q3 for north america which involves just us and canada and the way they define it is 4900 people per show but they ran 89 shows this year in q3 and that's only on wwe main roster that doesn't even include nxt that is uh, an interesting number. And so I went back into the, the books. And for people that are Patreon supporters, you can go to the WrestleNomics folder that you have access to. And I actually pulled up all of the old uh, key, uh, KPIs to figure out when was the last time they had it this low for Q3. And what I found is in 2011 Q3, it was at 4,900. And if we go back to 2006, it was 5,500, then 5,500, 5,300, 5,800, 5,200. 4,900 in 2011, 5,200, 5,500, 5,100, 5,100, 5,300, 4,900. So we have seen this plus or minus maybe 600 people per show variability over the last, um, let's say, 12 years. This has been the lowest number, though, in probably five years, uh, which is which is significant, I think. Um, that said, 89 shows at 4,900 people is a heck of a lot more people than even seven. 71 shows at 5,300 people, I believe. I would have to do the math really quickly here. Right, like, you... I, I, I did the math real quick when I was looking at it earlier. Like, you take 5,100 in 2015, and you multiply that by 79 events, that's... 403,000, approximately. Yeah, 403,000, then you take 
previous year and multiply that by 71, you've got 376, 376 so much so lower. That, so and then then, this year, you take our the 49, multiply it by 89 events, and you're at 46. Four, uh, 36, so it's even higher so, than, than it was, yeah. 403. So yeah, so, so they've actually done more people. And on top of that, not only have they done more people, if you look in there um, – the the text of the earnings they say they actually increased north american ticket prices by five percent this year yeah and we should and, point out like if we were probably going to talk about revenue and whatnot later and the, the revenue includes nxt but what we're talking about right now these attendance numbers are only main roster only raw and smackdown yes and and it's it's intriguing to me that um you know, somebody else pointed out to me that while we have heard a lot of doom and gloom about how poorly some of the TV live events have done for attendance, where, you know, we have uh, not, you know, house uh, buildings that only hold 6,000 not selling out for raw, things like that. There has been probably a greater ability of them this year to use modular ticket pricing where they've done, you know, deals where there's both you can get a raw and a SmackDown ticket or you can right, get like a we heard about that tickets. in Denver where they ran a raw and a SmackDown in Denver on consecutive days. And there were deals where, you know, it's like a, a buy two and save. Yeah. And so I, I think that's interesting. And, and as is pointed out here, they are able to get both a price increase 5% and a number of events, large increase. Um, I, I think it says something. I mean, the fact that basically they are running SmackDown house shows on Monday nights, uh, good evidence of saying, you know, they can still make money doing that. Now yeah. that said, and if you, you don't see- know, here are some of the, the scary pictures that have, circulated on social media of uh of arenas this is of a raw apparently you can see the raw logos up here and you can if you look close you you can see quite a few empty seats i'm not sure which event this was this was probably sometime in september when it was uh it was you know a lot of people were taking pictures of raw and smackdown particularly tv tapings not so much house shows but you can see and this is probably opposite the hard cam probably with the hard cam over here or i'm sorry this, this is probably the hard cam side and so they what they'll they'll do is you know, put people opposite the hard cam. So the arena looks, looks full, but in reality, there are quite a few empty seats, but yeah. Yeah. So I I think it's a tale of two stories where I think they would love to be doing better. I think the fact they're only down by a few hundred people and they ran that many more events, it's not as dramatic as I might fear. And what I would actually say is if I see three or four quarters of this, I would panic. If I, if it's just a one quarter thing, you know, they always have the option on pulling back on the number of live events they're running. And the reality is right now they're making probably more per penny profit on this because revenue did quite well, in fact, for um, live events this quarter. Did it not? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the, the larger story here is, yeah, they, they would love to be doing higher average attendances. But this business is becoming, and I'm talking about like WWE's business overall, is becoming just a more and more efficient machine. Attendance is becoming more and more of a volume game. More events, higher ticket prices. And maybe they'll suffer uh, when it comes to average attendance. I mean, but now the, the thing that could raise W's business across the board and raise average attendances is if they, I don't know, actually created some stars, which they seem to have a lot of trouble doing. But, yeah, so they, they did 31.6 million in live events for Q3 compared to 28.6 million the year before and 26.1 million the year before that. So, do we want to look at pull up training schedules for that? Yeah, yeah, if you have it, I, that'd be great. That's what I'm looking at. Yeah. You can read this. If you can't read this out there, tell us. I'm going to try to zoom in, though. That's pretty so good. So we're looking at – so we're talking about live events, the live events segment. And if you don't know, W breaks its business up into a number of segments, which you can see over here on the left, uh, yeah. network, TV, and so forth. 
And uh, we can look at live events and uh, you can see how that's been doing across the quarters here. So this is the number that they just reported today, 31.6 million compared to other Q3s, 28.6 and 26.1. So even though average attendance is up uh, or average attendance is down, uh, the revenue is up. And again, that's due to more events, higher ticket prices, SmackDown having its own brand. SmackDown being able to you know run on Monday, so there's more shows, and they're including NXT live event revenue in this as well. Do you, do you remember when they signed like a deal with was it um uh, Ticket King or or Stub no StubHub StubHub they uh, they announced they have a deal to do I think it's to be an exclusive partner, but that uh, you can still find uh, W yeah. tickets on other secondary and, and- market websites, as far as I know. And I've never gotten a straight answer of what exactly that means. I don't know if that means they take their excess tickets and they immediately put it on for resale on the StubHub market, and then they get a kickback of you know what's resold if they get a percentage of the resale on any ticket or what it is. Right. What but, we're referring to is this press release that was put out on March 28th, right before WrestleMania, where they say StubHub today announced they have reached a multi-year agreement naming StubHub the companies that is WWE's exclusive ticket resale marketplace for fans in the U.S. and Canada. So it would especially be curious, you know, for next year's WrestleMania, if maybe we see a closer relationship with StubHub where maybe for getting, you know, the big, big, big ticket prices, uh, if there's packages or something that they're reselling using them. Let's go back to the KPIs um, for a second. But yeah, I think that was the big takeaway is that um, U.S. did um, pretty well all in all. The international was a little crazy. Um, because they're down, but they only ran seven events. Because as you see, Q2 and Q4 are the big international quarters. That's when they go do the big European tour. Q3 of this year, um, I would have to actually stretch my mind a little bit to think where they went. I guess, um, any ideas where they would have been in Q3 of this year? For what? I'm spacing out, sorry. That's all right. For <laughs> WWE, where they ran in uh, Q3 this year. Like the cities like, that they ran in? international uh they were in south america but that was i think that was after september 30th though yeah that's why i was saying i'm wondering now uh let me look here i can actually look that up on um using rest of the world cage match uh yeah went to cage match they did an australia tour uh that was really big uh back in september Mm -hmm. they did a asia tour i think as well let me check and they did a yep a couple house shows, including the house show in China and the ones right. in Japan. Um, uh, actually, one of them was on the thirtieth of June thirtieth, and one of them was on July first. So one in one in each quarter. So those were probably most of their ones. And then for Europe, let me see if they actually went to Europe at all in Q three. Right, so you're probably looking at this. We're looking for pulling up cage match here and just look at the rest of the world. Yep, they did not so run Europe in 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 year in Q three. Yeah, so we see Austria, New Zealand. And then if you do the same on Asia, you'll see a couple other uh, Tokyo and China events. And that's actually just what it, what's this quarter. It's just that. Yep. But then there's Asia, right? Yep, because they said they ran seven, I believe, was the number. And so... Something like that. Well, anyway. Uh, anything else we need to look at from the KPIs? Because that's the... Uh, is that the end of it? That is the end. So yeah, this is at the very end. That's where you, where I got that ninety-two million number from, is on the first footnote on on the appendix. I see. Okay, and that that sounds about right compared to the stuff I've seen on certain TV ratings news websites, where they uh, periodically put out a, a table of 
how many homes each cable network is in. Since you're doing all this live event updating, can you pull up what um, WW stock price is right now? Uh, maybe finance at google.com yes. or something? Yeah, let's refresh that. 10% flat at the moment as of 2.14 p.m. Eastern. I love the facts that it gives you on the side here. We know that it's founded by Vince McMahon, and they have a ring announcer named JoJo. <laughs> yeah, you notice that? Those are like the five most important things for you to know at this moment. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's and it's been really flat for the last two days. So this is this is a big increase, and and a lot of people have been saying, you know, yeah. uh, it's intriguing to see who are these people that are investing heavy in this, you know, right now it's almost, it's odd. Usually you try to sell right after kind of that earnings there. Uh, now that's right. been what we usually see on the day of uh, quarterly reports is that the stock price more often than not goes down. Because yeah. People sell, you know, they, they sell on results, not uncommon. So, so we, why do you think it went up today? Because they, because they upgraded their OITA projections a little bit. Yeah. And, and it'll probably go down tomorrow. I'm guessing, you know, um, I think, I'll be curious to see what happens tomorrow. I always find that it takes people a day to consume WWE news that it, they, they either are waiting for, you know, the major funds to come out with their new recommendations or something. But um, a lot of times Friday, there's actually a big reaction to what's happened um, more times than not. It's been a normalization, but uh, in this case, it might be the normalization in the way they don't like so much, but yeah. So uh, somebody asked us to answer just the basic question so that they don't have to listen to us blather all day, which is, is WWE business healthy? I think um, to answer that question, I'd like to open up the uh, earnings report real quick. The press release itself? Yeah, let's open up you, the you, press you release. This, yeah, this so this, this number right there. So let's, let's just kind of look at these numbers here. And so this is nine-month column, the one on the far right. That's the one I'd focus on. And so they're up to about 590 million for nine months, meaning that they're going to be close to, they're going to be well over 600 million and probably trying to break 700 million for next, uh, for, for the whole full year, if they could, they're up by about $55 million, uh, growth. And if we were to say, where's that 55 million coming from? Well, about 14 comes from the network. About 21 comes from television Home entertainment was down a little bit this year. Digital media was up by 3 million. And then live events was up by about 10 million. And then licensing went up by a million. And shop went up by about a million and a half. And studios managed to get you about one and a half. So what is their engine of growth? um, W Shop and Venue Merchandise have been areas of business that have been steadily growing. And I guess uh, there's there's probably some, some... Technology reasons for why WWE Shop is, uh, has been doing better and better. They're just feeling more and more available probably in international markets, right? I wonder if WWE Shop includes international markets, like you're saying, that are actually not done through WWE Shop. So Amazon UK, the sold shop in India. Yeah, I, I think like Amazon that. stuff is included in this segment, right? Yeah. I think there's, it's, it's been, that's been stated in a 10Q or something like that. What intrigues me is the fact that venue merchandise is nearly flat year over year, despite them running 89 um events so many more than they did a year ago so in in mm-hmm. fact you could say that venue merchandise is actually down a lot per show Cause, and cause the total volume number of attendees is up so you would think yeah. more more yeah. heads equal should equal more merchandise sales yeah so that's that's a little bit of a surprise for me 
but um partially international might be playing into that because international i think they disproportionately buy venue merchandise so when you you have a big drop in international fans it might might hurt you more but the the question is is it healthy yes it's healthy because they have uh two engines of growth they have an engine of growth coming from television and they still have an engine of growth coming from the network now if you go down a little bit to the operating income what you'll quickly realize is my goodness I just said that they did a hundred some million dollars in uh, network revenue, right? 151 million. And they make $38 million OBITA on that. That's like a 28% OBITA percentage. So they make a 28% profit on every network. So well, we're talking about operating income though, right? Which is slightly different than OBITA. It is. You're right. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit uh, uh, lower because OBITA is operating income, but then you back out depreciation amortization. But they're very close to each other. It's 25%, yeah. I believe, in this number, and then it's 28% is the other number. Okay. Um, so about 25% profit on the network segment versus $95 million of profit on the television segment. So the most important thing to me is the fact that their most profitable single segment, television rights, is growing by $21 million a year or more and is continuing to generate big profits and then their second largest revenue segment which is only at half the profit of the tv one is still growing quite a lot and is still being profitable so they have to keep their price their spending in check and you can see corporate and other continues to blossom right 19 million dollars increase year over year now most of that was from earlier in the year because you can see their spend is actually equal year over year from 47 million to 46 and 9 so they didn't really spend that much more on corporate and other than they did a year year ago for the one quarter but for the whole year they're up by more almost 20 million dollars so it's it's that's from um it it gets complex every time they talk about it some of it is legal cost some of it is the fact that they keep growing the performance center and all those contracts go against corporate and other some of it is the um investment that they did in the uh analytics team and then some of it is the uh the building that they bought and that they're spending money on because they said this spending on the network has decreased right and that's why that's why, as we see here, you know, uh, operating income on the network is is up significantly. Yeah, it's I mean, it's almost dollar for dollar, right? It's up fifteen million dollars, and they're up about fifteen million dollars in revenue. So, so they're maybe fixed. Just all those uh, expensive uh, legal fees that they're incurring from uh, well, various you know, lawsuits. The ten Q actually does break down uh, what is the. Uh, spend on legal fees and so they actually do talk about that and it is up by several million for this year but we're not talking 10 or 20 million it's up by like three to five million i think um speaking of which uh the there was a ruling in the cm punk subpoena lawsuit where uh you know punk had been asked to pay one hundred twenty thousand, which was half of the two hundred forty thousand dollars for his subpoena and the judge basically ruled that he should pay forty thousand which is very close to the like thirty nine thousand dollars that he had proposed he would pay so uh, I, that was interesting to me that the judge just basically said 40K, we're done. And I'll be curious to see if WWE appeals it or not. But in theory, that would mean WWE would have to eat the cost of about $200,000 of legal expenses just for that one thing with CM Punk in Connecticut. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know whether you know they'll, they'll work out a different deal with their lawyers for what they're really paying. But uh, that's a good example of a single lawsuit costing them 200K. And that was just for a, a subpoena to CM Punk about his Illinois action. So it, it, intriguing to me. Um, is WWE healthy? My answer, yes. They're healthy because they have these TV rights fees that are guaranteed. And that was something that came up in the investment slides is basically when do you have to renegotiate? And that's going to change their entire deal. 
they're healthy as long as they have a good relationship with NBCU. And this is my new core thesis. WWE cares a lot more about their relationship with NBCU than they care about with their core fans. Because that's the thing that's going to get them through the next 10 years in a way that it, you know, there were zero questions about Roman brains getting the mumps or about Jinder Mahal being your Indian champion or about Neville walking out or something, Neville walking out, Brock Lesnar becoming a free agent in the next 12 months, John Cena leaving to do movies, um, uh, the, the aging talent base, uh, Kurt Angle being called back and medical drama. None of that, not a single one of those things was talked about. Instead, right. what they talk about. To be clear, for people who aren't familiar with this, the people who ask the questions. So when they do this conference call, they go through a, a PowerPoint presentation and then they open up the, the phone so that analysts who represent various investment firms can, can uh, ask questions. And these aren't necessarily people who are following the product or, you know, who are browsing wrestling Twitter. These are kind of you know, media savvy people who are, who also cover other media companies. Right. And, and W, uh, is a turn on for them because it's this there they came out with this ott streaming service so it's a, it's a lot of that it's not necessarily people who are watching the product from week to week no no it's i mean there's a few and and you do sense that there's guys like a mike hickey will talk about hey you had a good show last night i enjoyed this yeah. or my kid did this so i mean yeah. and i've talked to brandon ross and and same deal he yeah. will you know infer that you yeah. know he he was at wrestlemania or he talked to them yeah. but and most- there are people who, who ask questions like we had questions today about, I think, women's wrestling and, and there was some talk about the Mae Young Classic. So there is some awareness of like what the current product is doing, but it's definitely not anything that comes from a fan perspective. And and nor is it necessarily relevant always. Like I think there's this desire to correlate championship reigns with financial performance. And, you know, that's that's why I go back to my thing about, you know, the WWE CFO who successfully gets the WWE Network launch and proves the pay-per-view model. All those kind of people, they deserve as much credit for helping the wrestling business as a lot of other people out there. But you're never going to want to talk about how exciting that is because it's a business-oriented decision-making that, you know, is not really that sexy the way other stuff is. Yeah, and like that's something that I've like c- come to realize as I've studied this stuff more and, and covered these more over the last couple of years is you you come in with a with the I don't know the mentality of a wrestling fan and you kind of want you want to look at the wrestling metrics which is still the thing that I look at the most but you kind of like you're expecting to get answers who's a draw or who's not or what's failing and what's succeeding and it's really a lot more complex than that and but I, guess- I, I will say at forty nine hundred people a a, a show. If they had a super hot champion, I think it would be hotter. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's the, that's like kind of exactly the point that I want to get to is that um, they. Could, I think the, the the big story underneath that nobody talks about and and nobody can really deal with except for Vince McMahon is that you know this company could be booked a lot better and they could cultivate stars a lot better, but they don't. And I don't I don't know how much of a difference that makes to WWE's business. I don't know if that means they could be in a boom period right now, but they're not. But I think it, it, they do leave money on the table because of the way that the product is presented. And, and this is something I was mentioning on Twitter today, which is I think the complacency breeds a contempt for riskiness that sometimes generates really interesting returns. And what I mean by that is the reason WWE UK languishes is because WWE is doing just fine economically. And so there's no need to kind of sign these things and do something with them as much as you can sign them and then just lord it over some other TV company or some 
talent group and say, you can't do this now because I have the rights to these people. And if they were in financial peril, you would see them either give up on these ideas or maybe even double down or just see that going in. And so we are seeing elements of strategy play out. And it's funny, like I said, I couldn't tell if Vince McMahon was serious or sarcastic when he talked about social media there. That, and in the sense that every year they come up with their talking points. And clearly this year's talking point is the women's revolution. That's, you know, people fed them lines. They talked about it. They made it a big deal. But they mentioned that uh, the Mayung, I think this is Michelle Wilson answered this question. She said that the Mayung Classic viewership was on par. I believe that was the phrase on par with the men's tournaments that they've done, which she seemed to be referring to the Cruiserweight Classic and the UK tournament. Yeah. And I wish they had gone a little bit more in depth about that because, you know, I think there's a great question, even for people that barely watch wrestling to ask, which is, Hey, you rolled out a binge model similar to Netflix rather yeah. than your How did that do? week to week model. What did you learn from that? What are you going to do differently? What was the, the findings on that? And, you know, even uh, Paul Levesque was in the room. We know That's that right. because Vince McMahon was, was decided to, I mean, he didn't decide to bring up, it was on the slide that he was going to bring up these Middle Eastern and Indian um, signees for women that they did. And then, <laughs> then for whatever reason, he decided he would try to say their names. And then he's like, I don't know their names. <laughs> Paul, what's their names? And Paul remembered uh, Kavita Devi, but he did not remember uh, uh, anyone else's. He did not remember the name of uh, the woman from Jordan. Uh, and right. so that was a rather hilarious little clip where we learned a Paul Levesque was in the room, something we did not know previously. And I can see myself on your super screen here. I don't know if you oh. notice that. <laughs> what am I doing? Um, right. It's uh, a Kavita Devi. So he brought up that they signed two, two, uh, two new talents, one from India and one from, he wasn't really sure. And then he, and then pa Paul Levesque had to interject um, Jordan. So it's Kavita Devi. Paul Levesque had to remind him and, Paul Beck didn't even try to pronounce. Let's see. Shadia B-S-E-I-S-O. Basario or something? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Shadia, but, but, can... yeah, from Jordan. And uh, she's, yeah. she's, she's, I know she's done some MMA training and things. I've heard from people saying that, you know, they saw her at a camp in the UK or other places in the past. It was just funny uh, with, with them coming up that, again, it was women's revolution is this like big tagline for them this year. And I think it's an interesting investment from them, though I would question whether or not it's having a substantial financial impact on them. I would love actually if they broke it out, you know, say, hey, our licensing on the female superstars this year, we were able to do 25% more or, you know, the royalty checks we paid out were this much higher. We're the uh, whatever. They, they mentioned that 35% of their roster was female, uh, a number that Michelle Wilson had at her, her fingertips. And Michelle Wilson, someone who hasn't been on these calls in recent months. So it was interesting to see her kind of right. being brought in and almost forcefully be part of this conversation where it's clear that they kind of, this seems to be right. part of her marketing initiative for the years talking about the women's revolution. Yeah. This year, I think at least since WrestleMania, Michelle Wilson's been on the calls. And I, I wonder like just seeing, you know, having it revealed that Paul Levesque is in the room. I wonder how many people are in that room. You know, well, like, well, the funniest was when Laura asked to talk to Vince as she always does. And then George Berrios answered the whole question. And part of me thought, Oh my God, did, Vince get up and leave like did he just <laughs> did he decide he wanted to, to go to the bathroom or go get a drink or or uh have a a, a steak uh steak wrap or right. what it was going to be um but no then then at the end Vince kind of chimed in 
but uh you, you I would, again we would love to see the wwe network video of these calls that's right um years and years ago i was at a um a corporate event for a different company i worked for and there was uh the the ceo of a, of a multi-billion dollar company one of the largest companies in the world came in to visit us and it was fascinating because he had all these hand signals so we we, we first we had all these um we'd pre-plan questions. So like, they'd be like, who here is going to ask about this? And then you would raise it, you know, you'd figure it out and then you'd stand up in the room and say, I know that you've done a great investment in, in this sort of thing. What are your thoughts on this? And they would answer the question that they had pre-planned. Wow. But then like when they did kind of actual Q and a, the CEO had like secret hand gestures where he would be like, you know, kind of put his hand down or hand up or like put his, you know, kind of touch his watch. And that would be the indicator to the CFO of basically you're going to answer this or I'm going to answer this. And it was kind of like, if it's a real question, you answer this. If it's a fluff question, I answer it. So okay. it was, it was just interesting. And I just imagine we'd see those same kind of, um, you know, nonverbal cues going on in that WWE room there where, uh, you know, Vince McMahon sees Laura and then the eyes get big and then he just looks at George, and then I don't even think he points. I think Vince McMahon or, just or maybe he wanted to go put ketchup on his steak wrap or something. Yeah, I would love. I would like I say, I would love to see that. And and yes, that's a great question. Who's in that room at that time? You know, yeah. uh, is is local corporate counsel there? Is Laura sitting in the room or someone else? Um, is, Mr. Uh, is Stephanie in the room? Is Jerry McDevitt? Amon is he? I doubt Jerry's in the room. Jerry Jerry's in Pennsylvania. I think that's the okay. thing that we always. Forget. So Jerry doesn't work at um, in Stanford. No, he works for Canal Gates. He, he is a, he's a private lawyer. Okay. He just happens okay. to be WWE's primary lawyer. Right, right. And and so, like for instance, I was reading um a sent a uh, the the sanctions thing against uh, Kairos, and I found the transcript of the January meeting they did where they were scheduling. And Jerry was like, "We will drive up the day before this thing. We'll spend the night, and then we'll be here all day to do court." And so I imagine Jerry has to come up a lot for all these cases. But um, no, he definitely doesn't live in Connecticut, or at least he does. He he doesn't work out of Connecticut. He works out of Pennsylvania, as far as I can tell. Okay. Um, scroll down just a little bit on this this key earnings page. I just want to make my other thesis one more time. Fascinating to me: net revenues by region, North America four forty six out of five eighty four, or five eighty nine. And uh, last year it was 398 out of 534. If we look at the growth for the year, it's about $55 million. If we look at the growth in North America for the year, it's about $48 million. 48 over 55 is about 88%. I didn't do those in my head. I, I knew that from earlier. <laughs> but the point here is 90% of their growth comes from North America. And I don't think that's the story they tell. They tell you that it's coming from international and this and this and this and this. But 90% of their growth came from North America this year. and Sometimes I feel like they're underserving their North American marketplace um, compared on how much effort they're putting towards other things. On the flip side, if you listen to Laura Martin, her question was, why did it take you guys 15 years to realize international is the future? And um, do you want to give your take on that before I give my long-winded take on it? Well, the first question that comes to mind is like, well, how would, if you think they could do more effort in North America, like what would that be? Laura Martin asked about how, uh, and this is the question that Berrios uh, answered for Vince. But uh, she asked, you know, why are we signing all these international talents now? And why didn't we do this 15 years ago? Uh, I know Berrios tried to answer with something about how, is it well, because of the network? Is it just because, you know, stuff with technology and because of the media environment that we're able to market better to these international markets? Because she said, I thought we had a, there was a strong wrestling market, uh, 
in lots of other countries. Yeah, so so her point was that, and then George went back to his old answer of basically, why are we doing the network instead of a pay-per-view model? Which was mm-hmm. before there was limited content providers and limited ways for us to, quote, get a video into the pipe. And now any broadband home can connect to us and we can monetize that. And that's much more valuable to us than, say, making a deal with an international TV provider and then only having them as our option for pay-per-views and whatnot. Now, my real theory on this is George Berrios and Michelle Wilson both came on board in the mid-2000s. I think it was like 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. And that means their history goes back to that year. And prior to that, they have not as much institutional knowledge about what was happening and why it was happening. And I think it's a fallacy for them to pretend that WWE has not been fascinated by international markets for years and years and years because that completely ignores the boom from the mid-2000s um, that was happening in Europe. Uh, I still have you, right? Yes, I'm here. Okay. You were so motionless that I began to think you froze for a second there. Um, but I think it ignores that entire boom period where you know Italy and things like that were exploding or the UK was really hot. Uh, and WWE has been in international markets for 25 plus years. If you look at the relationship with, with Sky in the UK, it's, you know, it goes back 25 plus years. Um, they've been touring all over the world. You know, in the eighties, they went all over the place in the nineties. They, they, they did until the, the wrestling kind of fell down. And so part of it is that they are underplaying the contributions from their former international heads. So be it Garrett Meyer, uh, before them or years and years before that, there's been many other heads of international, uh, that worked for them. And I think they're really underplaying the, the contributions that those people did to their international marketplaces. There was a little bit more of, I think a, um, a system where international market growth was maybe not so centralized, where it kind of went more to a single person rather than kind of flowing all the way up to the top the way it does now. And, um, you know, what Ed Wells is doing today in international, you know, you'll see his name a lot where he's he's like a VP that they came up through Japan and now is, is doing a lot of things around the world, setting up these marketplaces. But they've gone into Mexico and they've left Mexico. They've gone into Brazil and they've left Brazil. They've gone into India. They've gone into China. They've gone into Japan. They've started offices in the UK and lots of places all these years. And sometimes they've stuck and sometimes they haven't. And, of course, they quietly don't announce when they kind of go away from things, and they only announce when they go into them. But um, it's been a different model. And the other part is it was advertising. They did a lot of local advertising model uh, where they would try do, to do get a lot more revenue. have a lot to do with this, though? Are, are we, like, in the last few years, are we you know, approaching a time where these other, uh, these other markets in, in Asia or in maybe even Europe or in Latin America, have these economies gotten that much stronger that, that it's more worth their while to market to them? Certain markets. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more money in um, media for like, Russia and India like than India's there ever economy, was. Like has India's economy really strengthened a lot in the last five to ten years? That yes, yeah, yes. I mean, I mean the yeah. the media rights money that they're kicking out. I mean, all you have to do is look at what the media rights that the U.S. was kicking out 15 years ago, and then imagine that most other countries of the world were lower than that, and how much that's exploded. So th- there's certainly a lot more there, but I think from a live event potential standpoint. They've underutilized it. And if you go back, Shane McMahon had a plan in 2006, I think it was, to do international territories and international marketplaces. And they kind of stymied their own growth there. And I would argue that they have thought about international for years and years and years. And it's a complete fallacy to pretend like they just discovered it now. They totally underpenetrate the Latin American marketplace. We know, you know, from CMLL 
and AAA and the crash and everything else. Just what a rich country Mexico could be for wrestling. Is that right for WWE's model? I don't know. But it's a rich country with a wrestling tradition, for sure. And they definitely underpenetrate that, which is why it's good that they're doing more localization models where they're getting the language right. Um, I thought it was fascinating what they talked about. What would the world look like in two years and 10 years? What would the network look like in two years? And what would the world look like in 10 years? Can, do you want to share those comments from Barrios? If I have them here. I, he, I know he talked about, the, uh, about talent development. He said, if you look out you know, 10 years from now, WWE will probably, you know, it'll go from being in Orlando to being in a number of countries throughout the world. And yeah, I, I would love to see Paul's face on that one too. Yeah. And someone asked him about the, the WWE network and he basically predicted that, you know, if you look out within two years, the WWE network will probably be uh, in another language. And I believe he made another point that I don't have it on hand though. You yeah. Remember? He just said it will have multiple tiers and be in at least another uh, additional yeah, language. Yeah, Multiple pricing tiers. Right. Yeah. When do you think we're going to see multiple pricing tiers on the network? Do you think it's going to happen in 2018? Um, it's a great question. Uh, my my gut is that WWE Network subscriber growth is going to stagnate a little bit over the next year. Here, it's going to be tough to keep adding more than you know fifty thousand to a hundred thousand people, and that only leaves them a few options. I think the most likely one is that you in, you increase the price of the network around the time of WrestleMania, and somehow try to make that you know like a big tiered option time. And so around the time of WrestleMania, Royal Rumble 2018, that's a great time to do it. At the same time, you know, they just made those lofty promises for Obita goals for next year. And that's a lot of variability to put into the system to uh, try to hold your Obita straight because you could see, you know, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000 people coming or going in a direction. So you have to create a lot of protections around yourself if you're going to do that kind of a big bang. And until they have these TV deals done, I don't know if they have the appetite to do the Big Bang. And now that hearing their timing on their TV deals, it makes me um, wary that they would actually introduce it in 2018. So uh, yesterday I would have said, you know, April of 2018, maybe. Now that um, now that we saw the slide that you're about to bring up, I, I'm less, less uh, focused on them actually hitting tiers next year. Unless, you know, unless they, they decide to maybe just do a, a basic price increase by talking about, you know, Netflix changed it and we're going to change it for new subscribers. And then at the same time, they might adjust some worldwide market pricing. Yeah. I so mean, to me, it, look it at this. India is changing in 2019. Doesn't that suggest that maybe if, if you're worried about screwing with India, you don't screw with it until 2019? Yeah. So we, we, we saw from this, this is a slide from their investor presentation. that the uh, And this is really kind of the biggest story that there is for WWE, right? Because this, this is talking about TV rights renegotiations and TV revenue is the biggest source of revenue for WWE. It's about a third of their revenue. Uh, the U S deal with NBC universal is the biggest deal. And there's, they're saying that the negotiations for that, or at least they want to announce uh, their future distribution plan somewhere between May and September of 2018. So that's coming up pretty soon. Yeah. And, and, uh, and this, this is intriguing because this is what burned them. So in, in, in 2014, uh, when they were announcing the new deal, they kind of said we would get it done by the end of 2013. And then it was the beginning of 2014. And then it was the middle of 2014. It wasn't until May of 2014 that they actually announced the deal, if I recall correctly. And that it was, about was May, and that's, that's when the uh, that's when the stock price 
plummeted because they only well, got about worse than the Trump the stock price. Yeah, because they only got about one and a half times the increase of what they said they would get, or they only got one and a half times their current rate versus the two x to three x to four x that others had had proposed for them. Right. And Vince um, McMahon admitted himself, I think, in Variety that the reason why. The, uh, the TV rights deal was not as uh, good as they expected was because of the timing of it. Uh, so this looks like it's dropped hard. Well, on, it, on so March what happened was in March, 15th. all these rumors flew. So that $30 number was like for a day. And it was in March, all these rumors flew. And then in May is actually when they did. I remember that the W Network launches uh, right about here. Yep. Uh, March 28th, I think, is, is the day. So around here, the W Network launches. Yep. So and then... Then the stock explodes and there's a little bit of rumors there. Then after WrestleMania, they don't hit a million. And so it falls. And then it goes oh, back oh, that's right. up. And then you'll see there in the beginning of May, it's it's at a number. And then it drops a lot more after that. And that's around that time that I believe. Um, I, I think that, around May is where they announced the deal yeah, was done. I remember it very well. And I then they, they, didn't had even, have, like, they had to have like an emergency conference, conference call. They didn't even, yeah, they didn't even have right. a conference call kind of planned. And that was kind of funny that they had to, to do that at the last second. But yeah, yeah. it was, um, so that it was a, you could see it was a big learning for them since then. Uh, you can see that first quarter there, you know, that first quarter right there, there was a ton of speculation, a ton of money, and nobody had good numbers. Um, you know, everybody, you know, they thought they were going to walk out of the gate with a million. And they came in at 667, 298 or whatever the number was. Uh, and that was a big shock. And at the same time, the big shock was that they still had tons and tons of people who bought WrestleMania on, on traditional pay-per-view. Kind of yeah. just proving that maybe maybe they might have overshot the mark a little bit for where they, they went on a lot of this things. This would have been a, a great time to buy, right? But the, the share price of this company has doubled since that point. Yeah, but I think that's a long-term investment to only double your share price from mid-2014 till now. You know, I think there's a lot of other stocks out there that you could have invested okay. in and done a lot better with. <laughs> so yeah. I would say it wasn't a bad investment, but um, I don't think it necessarily had a huge ROI on it. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about going back to that slide there about the different timing for the deals. Um one scenario, which is intriguing, what if they announce, okay, it's May of 2018 and they announce they're not going to NBCU? Well, their deal with NBCU lasts until September 30th of 2019, but they could announce as early as May 2018, hey, I'm not staying with you. My gut feeling is unless they're going to stay with NBCU, they're going to draw that out as much as they can. They're not going to uh, uh, start that they're not going to give themselves a year and a half of thrashing on a, on a partner that doesn't want to be with them. And I think it was Brandon Ross or someone who asked to uh, Barrios, if there were any other partners, would they think about that? I think Barrios said it's a small co cohort mm -hmm. of networks that Which, are, that would, would be interested in WWE. And, and in no way did they imply that Facebook or Netflix or Amazon yeah. were those players. And that's right. what's funny to me is that you see those names so much with analysts and you rarely see those names actually showing up on WWE shortlist. And I think they would say, oh, we're open to anyone, yada, yada, yada. But I think they also recognize that live sports streaming, digital platforming is probably not in the wheelhouse of someone like Netflix and is an abstraction for someone like Amazon and is a risk for someone like Facebook and is probably just not where, where they're going to go. I think they're going to stay on a traditional TV player. And in fact, they said, we think the bundle is going to exist in 2019. We think pay TV is still where it's at. And, and if anything, I felt like they kind of lowered their rhetoric from maybe where they were six months or nine months ago 
in a recognition that they had to be more realistic about who their options were on the table. They refused to say whether or not there was an exclusive period for NBCU. I think there is an exclusive period for NBCU where they can't. By exclusive period, they mean a time where WB is only going to negotiate with NBCU and not with other. And possibly NBCU might even have like right of first refusal or something, you know, basically the right to say, we'll match that deal. You have to come back to us with any deal that you get from somebody else. Um, something like that. I, I, I'm not sure they, you know, of course those details aren't super, super explicit, but you have to also remember WWE launched the network right before they announced their deal in such a way that even some of the heads of these networks felt they were caught off guard by WWE network launching their network, that they, they felt cheated and, and tricked by them because they killed, of course, a bunch of pay-per-view business for them. And so we're in a much better place and a much better relationship than we were on the last rotation cycle here. WWE does nothing but brag about how much NBCU has found new sponsors for them, more than 70 this year, how they have blue chip sponsors. They mentioned, you know, pharmaceuticals and cars and uh, insurance and people. They used to say the only people that wanted to advertise with us was theatrical releases and gaming companies. Now we have all these other actual companies like Kraft that want to be on us. And um, they refuse to say what they And you think all that work makes it more likely that they're going to stay with NBCU? I think what happened is they had to give up their their revenue share model, right? They had to give up their advertising model where they took any of that money, either selling it themselves or by like sharing in that. Well, what does that mean? That means you have to make sure that the person you're working for is happy. And at this point, it would seem foolish for them to blow away the, uh, let's see, they went back, was it 2012? What year did they they re-sign with a... Um, no, no, it was like 2008, wasn't it? Uh, that they like resigned with um, uh, NBCU when they went back to USA. Actually, it might have even been 2005. What year did uh, the Viacom deal end is what I'm trying to get at here. Uh, just figure out what channel Raw was on and then when it right. switched back to USA. That's that's really what my question is. And, Returns uh, USA Network 2005, yeah. 2005, okay. So since 2005, they've been on the USA Network. And since then, they've consolidated more and more programming. So they, at this point, they're going to have a good 14 years of history with them. They've always had a close relationship with NBC Universal, or at least with USA Network. And as long as Bonnie Hammer's been really involved, and she, I believe, is still the head of like Universal Programming, she's been big. The one time they left the, the network was when she got kind of knocked out of power and she was doing something else. That was when they went to Viacom. So I I just don't see them leaving NBCU at this time. Now, they might shake up what they're doing in UK or India or these other marketplaces. They even hinted that they might bundle their digital rights and their TV rights differently in other places. But I just don't see them. um, I just don't see them blowing up this NBCU deal unless they get such a killer deal from an ESPN Disney type conglomerate where it's going on the ESPN app in some way. Or if it's a, um, you know, a crazy Fox deal where Fox is just pouring money into them to try to revitalize the fact that they've lost UFC. Yeah. And if this is going to happen this early, I, I doubt that it's going to happen, right? Like, I think one of the things you said is that well, it would be more appealing for ESPN to get WWE if ESPN had a, an OTT service to, I don't, to, to better utilize WWE with, right? And, and they will by 2019. By, yeah, I, I, but they're going to – do you make a deal in this time frame though? You know, to, you know what I'm saying? People have always said to me that you, you want to have these deals done more than a year out and you're negotiating you know, two years out. Uh, so I'm not surprised. Okay. I think just for them though, they want to make sure that they have a lot of more um, continuity. 
of of what what exactly they're doing. And the last piece is they're talking Raw and SmackDown here. They are not including um, you know Total Divas, Total Bellas, uh, the Ms. Maurice show, uh, reality shows, anything else that they're programming that isn't necessarily being bundled with this. And in fact, I would have a hard time believing that those would leave the E network if they're still going on in that year, because I think the producers and the other people putting the money into it, I don't know if they could move. That said, hey, Project Runway and some of these other big you know, platform shows for networks have moved channels before. So it's not to say it's impossible, but um, that, that's the other so, element. So we it's, it's separate contracts for Raw and SmackDown versus Total Divas, Total Bellas. Yeah, if you notice, they never mentioned those other properties. They were really specific that they were talking about Raw and SmackDown when they talked about the negotiations they were doing at that time. Yeah. So it's possible that different Raw and SmackDown could move off of the USA network, but Total Divas and Total Bellas could stay on the E network. Or even would they maybe SmackDown? I mean, if I was WWE, what I would love to do would be move my SmackDown to another network and use that as a leverage point. Leave Raw on USA on Monday nights. That is a that's a commodity. That's a given. That's a programming history. Yeah, it's been there but forever. SmackDown. More often than not, anyway. Why not use that to brand, to prop up a, a Fox Sports or something like that, and then have the options to be able to be you know leveraged on another network the way they were years and years ago uh, when it was back on you know uh, UPN or exactly, and and I think it reaches a slightly different group of people, and then you have a chance for more eyeballs. And the fact is, they've been willing to play ball with ESPN, even though ESPN is not an NBC Universal company. So it's not to say that they're not willing to sometimes do cross promotion and cross branding if it's in their benefit. So I, I could definitely see them not necessarily bundling Raw and SmackDown together in the future. Now it limits them and it puts you at some risk, but I honestly, if I was them, that's what I'd be looking for most with my U with my WWE renewal. Cause the other thing that does is it, it creates, um, it's a lot harder to compare the deals if it's on two networks than if it's all bundled in one. And so it makes it harder for the financial analyst to look at the deal and say whether it was good or bad. Cause otherwise, you know, there's the argument would NBC, you want to pay less if there was only a two hour show for raw every week. And, you know, what would be the value to that? And so if you're doing all those kind of trades and you move them at once, it's really hard sometimes to do all the math to figure out whether you're happy or sad with that deal. Yeah. So that, that I think is one of the big takeaways from what's happening right now uh, is just that they, they obviously have a lot of negotiations to do and they have a lot of announcing to do. And so we're going to see the fervor in Q2, Q3, Q4, and Q1 of the next year just be tons of these TV deals kind of pressure on them to make some, some announcements. And maybe we're going to go back to seeing the days of crazy affinity charts of 159 million people want to be on WWE or we haven't, um, we haven't seen a, so the investor uh, presentation that we're looking at here is different from the presentations we've seen at other times. Like when George Barrios does a talk or something, right? We haven't seen one of those in a while. Yeah. They disappeared. They basically stopped. um, They stopped, stopped doing different versions and now they just started using the earnings slides. On top of that, they would only in- update the investor presentation whenever George was actually going out and doing investor conferences. He does most of his investor conferences during Q1 and a little bit in Q2. There's almost none in Q3. And then there's a couple in Q4 because he always does like a UBS future of media or a uh, Morgan Stanley one in like October, November, December that uh, he seems to always be talking at. But for the most part. That, What's that? We should be due for that then, right? Well, Oh, yeah, actually, you're right. Um, I would have to, you know, the easiest place to find is if you go to indeedwrestling.com 
uh, blogspot.com or wrestlenomics.com, you can find the transcripts of the notes I've put up about some of the older calls. And usually then you can look at the date of when, when those were, but you're right. I think it was December. There's definitely one that he's gone to. And maybe there's one in November too, that he's done. Cause I remember the lead up to WWE network. He did a whole bunch of conferences and I was always listening into them and finding little nuggets. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Anything else? We got to let you go pretty soon. You got to be on wrestling observer live. Oh my gosh. Do I? I think I might. Five, two, yeah, you got like five minutes. Goodness, <laughs> I might. I probably have a, a text from them right now, being like, "Hey, what's your phone number? We need to call you." All right. Uh, okay. Well, I uh, want to say thank you, everybody, for listening to WrestleNomics Radio and trying this new experiment with us. We're going to have talk on another show about the Cloud9 funding, about the New Japan travel packages, about Linda McMahon talking at a Trump hotel and Nia Jax walking off. There's a lot of other stories we're going to be telling right now. But uh, I want to say thank you for everyone for tuning in and watching this initial broadcast. And we'll have to see how much of it is salvageable as an audio. Probably not much of it. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we've at least done this. Yes. Um, you want to do plugs real quick? There's, a, there's an article that I wrote for Fightful.com this morning just running down the, uh, the results, which is a lot of stuff that we talked about here, but it may be in more detail. we got some charts and graphs in there. And it looks like I, I have... Uh, through, through some sort of proxy, uh, there's a, a new article, a second article on Fightful, which includes just a ton of my tweets. Looks like Sean Ross Savage has just done a, a big tweet dump <laughs> of me and made it an article. So there you have it. You can check out, go to Fightful.com and check that out. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at MookieGata, and I did a whole bunch of tweeting myself this morning all about this stuff. And uh, I will be on Wrestling Observer Live in just a few moments here, apparently. Forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> did you forget? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been watching the clock and you're like, okay, we got until 3 o'clock here. That makes more sense. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Check us out on uh, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Bye-bye. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.